0: Welcome everybody that is gathered here outside at Cypress Creek Church and everybody that's tuning in to the live stream. It's a pleasure to get to be with you guys. I remember it's been six weeks or so now. Pastor Jose and I were walking around out here and thinking about the time we'd be coming back together and talking about the stabilizing force that church is in our lives. And as we enter a time in our culture where things seem anything but stable, it's nice to have something like this, whether you're meeting here with us In person or whether you're tuning in to the live stream or maybe watching the video later in the week, God's presence through church and the fellowship of the believers is something that we need to hold on to as a stabilizing factor. I'm guessing like me, you guys have watched some news and probably seen some social media in the last few weeks. And if you have, you've probably seen people doing things that have made you ask, why in the world are they doing that? Why are they acting the way that they're acting? And I got to be honest, I also look in the mirror and uh, I ask myself the same question sometimes. Why have I been thinking and feeling and doing the things I've been doing the last few weeks? The Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament, actually asked a really similar question. He said, I don't know why it is that I do the very things I don't want to do and that I don't want to do the very things that I do. And I know I'm not supposed to take comfort in another man's sufferings, but there's something that brings a little bit of peace and hope to me to know that somebody as mature in his faith as Paul that had so much of an influence struggled with kind of trying to figure out why he's doing what he's doing and not doing that kind of stuff. And uh, the psychologist in me makes me want to dig in a little bit. And so as as we do, I realize that we act based on what we think and what we feel. So our thoughts and our feelings influence our actions. And you may be saying to yourselves, well, I've heard that you're not supposed to act out of what you're feeling. Whether you're supposed to or not, if you've been watching the world lately, you realize there are a lot of people acting out of what they're feeling. They're feeling hurt, they're feeling angry, they're feeling anxious, they're feeling fearful, they're feeling confused. And as a result, they're acting in ways that kind of express what's going on inside them. We all do that. We all act and think that influences then, we all act in accordance with what we're thinking and what we're feeling. So the next question that you ask yourself then is, okay, well, how do I get to what I'm thinking and what I'm feeling? What influences that? And it turns out that that's influenced by what we see and by how we see. What enters in our picture, our perspective and what we see and what we take in influences how we think and how we act, which ultimately influences think and feel, which ultimately influences how we See, this pattern is established and it's been around for a long time. We'll review some of these scriptures in a little bit. But it says in the Bible very frequently, it says, Jesus saw, he saw a crowd, he saw blind people, he saw lepers, he saw a gathering. And after it says he saw with his eyes, it then says he felt compassion. Consistently, he saw and then he felt compassion. And that feeling of compassion moved him to act in ways, sometimes healing, sometimes teaching, sometimes sharing, sometimes serving. But the action followed the feeling of compassion, which followed the seat, the ability to see what was going on. It turns out we just see things from different perspectives sometimes in our world. I'll show you some images. They'll put them up on the screen. The thing about what pops into your mind when you first see the image. So on the screen here, what, what do you see? Those of you that are gathered here with me, what do you see when you first look at that? A couple of faces looking at each other, right? If you look a little harder, anybody see a vase in the middle? Yeah, so there's just a couple of different images in the same picture. Depending on your point of view, you may see one sooner or faster than the other. Let's look at another one. How about this? Which way is this guy facing? Which way is he looking? A lot of people say he's looking forward. Anybody see him looking to the, to the right there? At least the way I'm pointed, looking to the right. Looking left? Somebody sees him looking left. I don't know which way he's looking. How about the next one? How many legs does this elephant have? I don't know. I've looked at it a bunch, and I don't know. In our minds, we believe an elephant should have four legs, but then you start counting them, and you're like, no, maybe there's five legs. And then you count again, and you go, wait, is that six legs, or is that a trunk? I don't know. The same image can appear different to us as we study it and pay attention to it. One last image. How about this one? What animal do you see? All right. A lot of people said duck. Anybody see a rabbit up there? Yeah, Yeah. same image, multiple interpretations. The point is how we see influences what we see, which influences our thoughts, and our feelings, which influences our actions. For us, we're kind of encouraged through the media and through outside sources to see our world and see our country through a biased perspective. We're supposed to either see it from a significantly conservative Republican perspective, or we're supposed to see it from a liberal and Democratic perspective over here. And the reality is, as believers, we're supposed to see the world really different from both of those we're supposed to look at the world through a gospel lens through the biblical worldview that's described in the redemptive story of a God who created us and who pursued us and who loved us and gave his son to die for us and in that death gave us eternal life as we confess our sins and that ultimately leads us to want to share that story with those around us in a world that's given time to kind of allow everyone to come to know him because we're all created in his image. Everybody. So how do we look at the world and the events and the things going on here in our country right now through a gospel-centered lens? How should we act in light of pandemic and quarantine and restrictions and social injustice and racial inequality and rioting? How do we act as Christians, as believers? How do we see the world through a gospel lens in the face of all that? That's what I want to unpack for you a little bit. And I don't have all the answers. Matter of fact, I think I'm probably part of the problem. The more I study it and the more I realize the lack of compassion that's in my heart, the more I realize that judgment's kind of my first go-to when I see something, I realize that, man, maybe there's a different way. And the Bible describes that different way. So I just want to talk about it. It turns out that the question, how then should we live, is asked multiple times in Scripture and answered. So we're going to look at three of those. In Ezekiel... I think it's chapter 33. They'll pop it up on the screen there. At this point in time, God's people, the Israelites, were in exile. They were living in Babylon, and they were controlled by the Babylonian leadership and government. And so they were outside of their homeland. And it's kind of like we would find us as believers now. We know this isn't home. We're, We're destined for something greater, but we're in a land where things are chaotic and out of control. And God says to his people through the prophet there, he says, Son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and sins weigh us down and we are wasting away because of them. I hear that, those kind of grumblings right now from people. Look, we're just overwhelmed with sin and the world is just going chaotic and things are crazy. And then here's our question. Well, then in light of that, how can we live? And God says, as surely as I live, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? What word do you hear repeated multiple times in that last verse? Turn. So God's saying in light of our sin in the sin that's oppressing us, we need to turn back toward him. He's also saying, I think in this, how should we live? We need to start by looking in the mirror. See, before we start trying to figure out how to fix everybody else and everything else in the world, we need to realize that we ourselves, we have a sin problem. We have an issue with living out the gospel in the world that kind of influences us otherwise. So our first thing is to take personal responsibility, look in the mirror. We want to live a godly life and say, where's the sin in me? And how do I do something about that? But he goes on to describe kind of how to answer the question in light of the culture in the New Testament. So let's look at 2 Peter chapter 3. If you want to turn to it, you can, because we're going to look at a lot of verses here, 8 through 18. But 2 Peter chapter 3, they'll be up on the screen as well. I'm going to read through this and discuss it. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. I hear some believers in this time saying, if Jesus would just come back, I'm just praying he comes back tomorrow and then everything will go away, it's gonna be great. You know what? I don't know when he's coming back. But I know that verses like this tell us that part of his timing is so that we have time to share his positive message with people around us. Because if he came back tomorrow, there are people on my street and there may be people in my family that don't know him as savior yet. And for whatever reason, he's not back. So in this time, how should we live? Because the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, and here's our our question again, what kind of people ought we to be? Given that we live in a country that's at turmoil and unrest and there is things going on like social injustice, Justice that we may not all agree with or be happy with, how ought we to live? And it says really clearly, you ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed is coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat, but in keeping with this promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. You guys, this is a strategy we kind of naturally employ, and God's saying, yeah. Why not live this way in relationship to me? The strategy is this. Whenever you're in a difficult time or a difficult position, we often think about, well, I can't wait till we get to the end of this or the other side of this. If you're in the middle of a semester at school where things are really difficult and exams are mounting up and you're kind of stressed about it all, you kind of look forward to man, but if I just get through these exams, on the other side of this is some freedom and a few weeks off. If you ever had a big work project or something really stressful that was requiring long hours, you look forward to the day, you're like, all right, but when I hit that deadline and I turn this in, things are going to look different. If you've ever been an athlete trying to get yourself ready for a big game or a big event and you've done all the training and the preparation, and you're working when nobody else is working, your coach is coaching you up, and you're looking forward to the day that you can finally just execute it all on the field or on the court. We naturally know that we need to look forward when things get troubling or difficult. We need to do that now. God is saying that, look, in the midst of the chaos, look forward and realize that, hey, this isn't your home. This isn't what we were made. There's more to come, and there's more to the story. But not only that, in verse 14, he says this, so then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to do, and he lists three things, be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him three things spotless we're supposed to be spotless I don't know anybody who's spotless I don't know who's without sin that can cast the first stone but but we're supposed to move ourselves toward that we do that because Jesus and his forgiveness and through repentance so we're pursuing spotlessness so that we get the sin out of our own life and then it says to be blameless well blameless is how we relate to others can you look at yourself and honestly say you've treated everybody with dignity and respect and love and understanding and encouragement? And then not only spotless and blameless, but we're all supposed to live at peace with Him. Regardless of what's going on around us, we have a God who's in control. And that fact alone and our faith and trust in Him allows us to go to bed at night at peace, no matter what chaos swirls around. So that's the second citing of the question, how then should we live in Scripture? We're going to go back to one more in the Old Testament for the third citing, and that's in Micah chapter 6. And here he says it this way, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? There's our question again. What what, What do you require of us? How should we live in light of what's going on? And he says this, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. We need a little more of that right now. You say, well, I, I don't know why I have to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly when nobody else around me is. I'm not seeing that. Don't, shouldn't I respond the same way that tre- I'm being treated and shouldn't I just react to what's happening to me? And the answer is no, there are no qualifications here. It just says if you're mortal, which we all are, everybody here and everybody listening, we're mortal. So this applies to us. Regardless of how you're treated or what you see going on, as believers, we're asked to act justly, love mercy and walk humbly. So that's where we got to start asking the question, how are we doing on the, that's how we ought to be living in light of what's going on? How are we doing? But it's not just about how we ought to be thinking about the world, it's how we ought to be feeling about it as well. A little transition verse that I think is powerful for today is Zechariah chapter 7, is verses 9 and 10. And it says, "This is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true justice, show mercy and compassion." To one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other. I don't think I get up in the morning trying to plot evil against anybody, but I also don't think I'm without sin and I don't think I'm spotless when it comes to thoughts that I have. Um, and it says pretty clearly here that I'm not supposed to plot evil against anybody, but I'm also not supposed to oppress anybody, the widow, the fatherless, the foreigner, the people who look different than me, the people who think or act different than me. It doesn't give me right to be oppressive of anybody. Instead, it says I should administer true justice, show mercy, and compassion. That word compassion is incredibly powerful in scripture. It's, it's kind of the thought that we know what passion is, right? we get energized and enthusiastic about something, that's passion. Compassion means I'm going to get energized and enthused about you and what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. And that's a little harder to do, but that's what we're called to do. How do we come alongside people around us and try to enter into their experience and get to know them enough, get to understand enough, listen well enough so that we feel something caring and loving toward them? Again, thankfully, we can go back to the model of Jesus. Because again, I said scriptures point to this three-step process that he lived out over and over again. We'll pop a few on the screen and let you take a look at them. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, he says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then 937 is not on the screen, but it goes on to say the harvest. He talks, turns to his disciples. He said, hey, the the harvest is plentiful. We need to be reaching out and serving and loving these people well. He saw, he was moved with compassion, and he acted. Again in Matthew chapter 14, verse 14, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. He saw, he had compassion, he healed Matthew 6, 34, different time that he landed somewhere and saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Jesus saw, Jesus felt compassion and that compassion compelled him to act in a way, whether it be healing or serving or teaching or loving. That's a good model for us. And if I'm honest, uh, compassion is not my go-to. I might have said that a little bit ago. It's just easier, I, don't, I think, I don't know why, honestly, to look at something and immediately judge it as opposed to looking at it and feeling maybe what's going on with the people involved. And yet God calls us to that consistently in Scripture. We'll throw a few more verses up there. I know I'm putting a lot on you, but I just want to make sure this message is coming from the Bible and not from me. So is compassion really something we're supposed to do? In Colossians 3, verse 12, it says we're supposed to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But the first thing we clothe ourselves with is compassion. Not the first thing I thought of this morning. Actually, last night I started thinking about what I was going to wear today. And uh, Christina told me that I was gonna have big sweat rings under my arm and nobody wants to see that. And so she said, you need to find something that's not, and I said, I have no idea what that is. And so she brings this linen shirt out that makes me look like I'm at the beach. And uh, I said, all right, if you say so. But I was thinking about what I was gonna wear today last night, but I wasn't thinking about clothing myself with compassion. It goes on in 1 Peter 3, 8 and says, finally, all of you be like minded be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Ephesians 4.32 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This compassion deal is a big thing. And I'm telling you, it's a big thing because what we see should influence how we think and feel, which should then influence how we act. And I believe if more consistently we were a people moved by compassion, our actions would look different to a world that desperately needs us in the message that we have. We've been in this series for a while um, on spiritual disciplines. And I think God's timing is perfect. So to put all of this into a package to help understand how it fits with disciplines, I will say that we started by talking about meditating on the word and how important that is as a discipline. Then we talked about memorizing scripture and the significance of that. then we talked about fasting and we talked about praying. And we've talked about other disciplines, and all those disciplines prepare us for this moment when we're closer to God because we've exercised those disciplines so that we can see the world through His eyes and see people the way that He does. The Apostle Paul also said at some point, he said, I pray that the eyes of their heart would be opened so that they might see. What if instead of seeing with our brains and our unique perspectives, we saw with our heart? and from his perspective? Well, I think it would lead us to these next two disciplines. The first one is the discipline of fellowship. We need each other. We we need each other maybe now more than ever, which is ironic in the light of pandemic and quarantine and restrictions uh, that keep us from kind of connecting the way that we would probably like to. We need each other in fellowship. They can make us physical distance or require it or ask us to physical distance but what you guys have showed me as a church and what i've seen in the resilient spirit of the people around me is they can't make us social distance we can cross any barriers we want socially by connecting with each other and we may have to do it in different ways i've got a mother-in-law who's learned how to use zoom she's not happy about it but she's doing it um We've all had to stretch ourselves a little bit, but the power of fellowship is important now more than ever. We need people around us. As we're trying to process what we're feeling, as the world is processing, our country's processing their feelings right now, we need folks around us who are safe. For us to be angry with, or hurt with, or scared with, or upset with, or confused with, we need a place where we can share those thoughts and feelings, and be heard, and listened to, and encouraged, and maybe even rebuked a little with scripture or certainly interceded for in prayer. That's what our community groups here at Cypress Creek are about. I hope you have a group of people that you're connecting with at that level. I'll tell you some amazing news. Since the pandemic started, this church has started five new community groups, and the rest are continuing on. Yeah, that's worth clapping for, man. That's amazing to me. And, and what that is, is that's the vision of the church that's been in place a long time. That's the leadership of Pastor Jose. But mostly that's you. That's you guys realizing that they can't stop us from gathering and the need for gathering, whether it be through man digital means or distance means physically together, whatever the case may be, it's important. You need folks in your life. And that's why from the very beginning, it's been part of God's plan in Acts chapter 2. Verse 42, Uh, it says, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is the early church. Things are just getting started in the New Testament. Jesus has died and been resurrected. The Holy Spirit is with them. And here's what they're doing. They're hanging out together. Now it says they're they're listening to teaching. That's really important. And it says they're praying. That's important. But then it, it says they're also eating together and fellowshipping and hanging out. That's really critical to us as a discipline to continue to grow our faith, maybe now more than ever. Um, If we do that enough, if we hang out with people that believe like we do, it creates a stability in us that then allows us to go out and hang out with people who maybe don't and get involved and get connected in a world that, um, man, we need to hear from. We need to see which leads us to the last discipline. The last discipline that we're going to cover in this series is witnessing. And uh, again, his fellowship now more than ever may be important. Witnessing and us going out and sharing the message and the hope of Jesus may be more important than ever. And that's scary to do. It actually says that in 1 Peter 3 verses 13 through 15. It says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats, do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have and do it with gentleness and respect. We need to be ready. We need to look different than the world. We need to go out there and care and show compassion and see and listen and when we do and as we act justly and we love mercy and we stay humble, people eventually are going to ask you, why? Why are you doing it? Why are you acting this way? And that's when you get a chance with gentleness and respect to say, because Jesus died for you and for me. I'm not ashamed of that. That's what Romans 1.16 says, "From not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. First to the Jew and then to the Gentile is a way of saying to everybody, regardless of race, or color, or ethnicity, nationality, whatever the case may be, God's message is for everybody, black, brown, white, whatever color we're created in his image. And it's our job as Christians to treat everybody with love and respect. But justice is important too, someone would say, and it is, that's the beauty of God. He, the world will tell you that just, it's either justice or love. It's an either-or. And the beauty of God is that it's not an either-or, it's an end. He's justice and love. Jesus' death on the cross was the combination of those two things happening. God's justice for a sinful people, us, and His love for us and wanting to be connected to us come together in Jesus' death. Um, It's a crazy world we live in. I could have uh, delivered this message today with a Trump Hat on, and uh, I would have offended somebody. I could have delivered it today with a Black Lives Matter shirt on, and I would have offended somebody. Honestly, I don't know what you can say or do today without offending somebody. So here's what I've decided if I'm going to offend somebody, I'm going to offend them with the gospel. And if that's offensive, then It is what it is, but I believe that the power of Jesus is what our country needs, the healing that comes from a personal relationship with him. There's truths in this Bible that, when applied, bring healing and bring health, and uh, we are the people to share that with a world that desperately needs it now as much as ever. Well, thanks for hanging out with us and for listening we're going to kind of wrap up with this uh, Lord's Supper. Taylor told you that before. As we're processing, as you're processing what you're thinking and feeling, know that that's important to us as a church, and we're certainly willing to listen. Uh, they teased at the start in the announcements, Pastor uh, Jose had a conversation with a longtime friend, and it's worth going online to, to listen as, he, as Jose listens to him talk about just what his experience is as a black man in America. And uh, we want to be listeners because we want to show compassion because we want to justly and mercifully act toward the people around us. The table, we're going to take communion here in just a second. Uh, The worship team is going to come back up and play a song while we do, wherever you are at home. Uh, Hope you have something to participate in that here at church because of our kind of taking care of each other, we're using a, a new system. We've got these cups with uh, a, a little plastic lid on the top and on top of the plastic lid is another layer with a, with a wafer on it and a lid. Now be really careful. I don't know if you're like me and you're driving down the road trying to open your Chick-fil-A sauce and uh, three out of four times it shoots out on your steering wheel or yourself. So be careful as you're doing that there. But know this, the table, God's table, is limitless in size and it is unlimited in who's able to attend. So for us here as a church, we welcome anybody because God welcomes everybody. But I will tell you that communion has the real power when it's seen through the eyes of a believer who has a relationship with Jesus. I pray that you would desire that if you don't have it. I pray that God would prompt your heart to want to accept him as Savior and that you would be willing to repent of whatever sin is in your life. And for those of us here who have done that and those of us watching who have done that, then this is a great time to remember that Jesus, through God's fulfillment of love and justice, died on the cross and he spilled his blood, which is represented with the cup and the juice or the wine, and he gave his body, which is represented by the bread or the wafer, uh, for the forgiveness of our sins. And uh, we need to live a life worthy of that example that we've been given. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your word, which is truth, for your example, which is challenging and motivating, and for your love, which is transformative. Lord, we want to be a people that acts justly, that loves mercy, that walks humbly, that shows compassion that turns consistently to you. And while looking for something greater ahead, we try to bring everybody along that we can. Help us not forsake the fellowship of believers and people who encourage us toward you. And help us be bold in reaching out to people who aren't like us, who don't think like us, or maybe look like us to listen and understand and truly see from their perspective. Help us to be agents of healing in a world that desperately needs it. Help us to be your ambassadors and for someone listening that doesn't yet know the power of your love in their own life to transform, I pray for them, Lord, just to ask you to be their savior and to turn, just to say, I- I'm a sinner. I can't get to heaven on my own and I can't do great things by myself. And for those of us that have made that decision, help us to be willing to be witnesses for you. Thank you, Lord, for the family you've given me for the kids that I have and for the world they're growing up in, Lord, that I want to be a part of making look different. And I know there's parents throughout hearing this message that want a different world for their kids. We want a world that's focused on you, Lord, and your gospel. Help us to be agents of change. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.